Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. I made it back. They invited me back. I don't know if that's a good thing, or if they just need a break. I don't know which one it is. Um, but I'm humbled again to be here. My name is Josh Cepeda. I'm a member here of Brooklyn. I'm a native Brooklynite. Brooklyn is home. Love it. So I'm representing for the, the, the old Brooklyn community. I'm still working on that name. I don't know how I feel about it. But uh, or original Brooklyn community. We could go with that. I like that better. Um, would you pray with me this morning? <sighs> Father, thank you. Thank you for this community that you're building here in Brooklyn, that you've been bringing together from all over, really. You're drawing people from outside, coming into Brooklyn with uh, passions and desires and maybe even uh, uncertainty of what they're going to do. And you're raising up people here home in Brooklyn with passions, desires, and you're partnering us together. It's a a motley crew of uh, new and original Brooklynites. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to build this community, continue to shape us. Today, as we look at our pillars, God, would you remind us what's holding us up and that it stems first and foremost from you. Let us take our cues from your story as you write our story along with us here in Brooklyn. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have uh, your Bible on your phone, physical, we're going to bring it up there as well. We're going to be reading today from Luke's Gospel, um, chapter 7, and starting from verse 36, um, you can read along with me. It says, one of the Pharisees, religious leaders, asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that, G, that he was, Jesus, reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this 
who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. I have an interesting tradition that me and my stepdaughter do every year. I'm going to sit down. Don't mind me. Um, That we do every year. Uh, It's towards the end of the year. We sit down sometime between Christmas and New Year's, and we try to watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, It's a great tradition, if you ask me. I love it. Um, And we did this about three years ago when me and my wife got married, and um, we just love it. We love coming back to that story. We love watching, uh, you know, the events transpire. It's one of the things that my wife can't understand about me and my stepdaughter is that we love re-watching movies. Um, I'm just one of those people. I love love a good story. But mostly because I love coming back to those characters. Um, Sometimes uh, you forget about certain things, maybe in life, you know, the situations of life sometimes cause us to forget um, important lessons we've learned or things that were important to us. And and good stories have the power to bring us back. Um, Sometimes we see things we never saw before, and good stories have that, that have that longevity, that you can read it again and and continue to kind of administer help and support into your life. And so The Lord of the Rings is one of those those stories for us. Um, If you're unfamiliar with that story, I forgive you. Uh, um, it's a great, it's a great story. Um, it was written by J.R.R. Tolkien, and it's a, it's a story that spans three books, and it has amazing, fantastical creatures and events. Uh, there's men, dwarfs, elves, wizards, goblins, orcs. I mean, and there's another uh, obscure character, an invention of the author, uh, called the Hobbit. And if you're familiar with the book, J.R.R. Tolkien includes this prologue in the beginning concerning hobbits, and he kind of explains a little bit about them, and he kind of introduces the audience, us, to who these characters are, because as you read the story, you start to find out that the other characters in the story are unfamiliar themselves with hobbits. They're unfamiliar with their habits, their life, and who they are. In fact, they have these, when they meet them, they have these preconceived expectations of them, and throughout the story, they're kind of understanding, wow, these, these, these people that we thought so little of have amazing uh, ability, amazing place in the story. And um, one of my favorite scenes in the movies, because I think the the movies are incredibly well done, is uh, right in The Fellowship of the Ring, which is the first movie. And that's personally my favorite. I love the beginning of that story. And the scene is, is, uh, it's not like a big like scene. It's not a like, you know, some fight scene or some important quote or whatever. It's actually this really obscure moment where um, while they're on their journey, four hobbits and a man, They're, they just escape the, the, the clutches of an evil force that's trying to capture them. And so you hear the voice as the scene opens up of, this, of the man, Strider, who's guiding them. And he tells them, listen, we're going to be traveling during the day. It's dangerous at night. So we're traveling all day. We're not stopping till nightfall. And at, as he's finishing that statement, the scene opens and you, he turns around and he sees the four hobbits opening up their bags and kind of setting up camp. You know, and he graciously looks at them and says, we're not stopping till nightfall. And one of them, in very comical fashion, says, yeah, but what about breakfast? You know, and uh, again, gracious, you know, this, the man Strider, he's unfamiliar with hobbits. He doesn't know them, they're, you know, they're, what they're like. And so he tells them, we've already had breakfast, you know. And I love the next line because... The hobbit, Mary, stands up and he says, or Pippin actually stands up and says, yeah, but what about second breakfast? (laughs) 
And I mean, second breakfast, love that. Um, and so Strider look, gives him this look, this, this kind of really perplexed look. I mean, I'm familiar with this look. My wife gives me this look all the time. It's this like, are you kidding me look, you know? Uh, and if you're a native New Yorker, or even if you've been in New York for some time now, it's, an, it's that look that New Yorkers give you when you do something that they obviously know very well and you do not. And they're like, are you kidding me? You know, I give that look to people who stand in front of the trains and don't move when people are coming out. I give them that same look. Um, and, <laughs> and so, and in this scene, you find out as the hobbits begin to talk amongst themselves because they're not stopping, that hobbits eat six meals a day. That's insane. Yeah. Six meals a day. <laughs> Love David. Love David. If you haven't met David, you got to meet him. He's great. He's right here. Uh, and so... Strider obviously doesn't know this, and he turns around, and he walks away, and um, the scene ends as the hobbits are going over the six meals that they eat, and are we going to eat them, you know? Um, and they're not, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> but I love that scene because what I found out was that um, that scene's not in the books. It's nowhere to be found. It's, it was a creation of, of the creative team in the movie, and the reason why they created this scene was because the theatrical release of the movie has no prologue. You have no introduction to this character that's never been seen before. You know, we're familiar with, to some degree, all these other mythical creatures, but not these ones. And so what the creative team did, who put together the movie, is they created these moments within the movie where something like this would most likely happen when you meet someone who has a pattern, a lifestyle, and you, you kind of get to know people through the journey of life. And you get to know them as you see them interact. And that look that Strider gives is one of, you know, kind of just, I guess, uncertainty. He doesn't know them. But it's a look that we'd all give when we meet someone for the first time and their life and who they are kind of shocks us. And I can't help but feel like that's a look that Jesus himself may have gotten many, many times over the same topic of food. If you're, what's interesting is Luke's gospel alone, which is where we're going to be spending our time in Luke's gospel, there's 10 specific moments, 10 times in Luke's gospel is Jesus seen eating. 10 significant moments that the writer wants the readers to know Jesus and he, we find him eating. Nine out of the 10 are actually at a table. The other one is this, uh, when he feeds the 5,000. Four of those moments are actually shared in all four gospels, meaning all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the, contain the stories of Jesus' life and ministry on the earth, they all feel these four moments where Jesus is eating is so important that we have to know. One of those moments they share is the Lord's table, what we call communion, which becomes the centerpiece of life and worship, food around a table. And this isn't even uh, scratching the surface because there's seven other times that Jesus himself in teaching references food, eating meals, sharing food with others. I mean, food is on his mind. But more importantly, and this is the reason why Jesus may have received those looks is not just because of what he was eating or that he was eating, but who he was eating with. If there's anything we see in the Gospels, anything we see in the story of Jesus is that Jesus is the one who eats, but he's also the one who eats with others. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at our, our third pillar. And uh, our third pillar is the one that, right there, it's the biggest one. Um, and it's probably the one that I think defines us very, very uh, well, is that we, Hope Brooklyn, we eat face-to-face. -face. If there's anything you begin to learn as, about us as a community is we love to eat. We love to eat. 
I mean, it's something that we enjoy doing, but not just because we are gluttons, and, uh, which I'm sure some of us maybe are, but um, it's because sharing a meal means so much more than just eating. It holds so much weight in our community. It defines us as a people. In fact, I remember when Russell, when I first met Russell, we were talking about uh, whole Brooklyn and this idea he was, he was starting and what he wanted to do. And he talked about this new Brooklyn, these you know, new Brooklynites that are coming into Brooklyn and, and old, again, I don't like that phrase, old Brooklyn, kind of meeting and sharing a meal, how different and how strange this may be. And for me as an original Brooklynite, again, that's original, not old, original Brooklynite, I, like, I, can, I understand very well because there is a consensus in which sometimes these two communities are at war with one another. We're trying to figure out a way to live together. And it's interesting that we here at Hope Brooklyn are actually sitting down, eating together, and building a community around that. And it's primarily because we've learned this from no one else but Jesus. Jesus eats with everyone. There's a new slogan we, we, we're starting to use, and I love it. Russell said it last time, no one eats alone. And if you look at Jesus, Jesus never eats alone. He's never eating alone. He's always eating with others, if not always providing for others. And so here at Hope Brooklyn, that's a pillar that holds up a lot of what we do, that we eat face to face. We want to be with others. And there's something that happens at tables with Jesus, which is what I want to look at today. It's in that passage that we read. There's three things. There's this process that Jesus kind of takes every person who, meets, who eats with him through. It's a process of exposure, process of revelation, and finally, a place of understanding. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take us through that, through this story. And so if we go right to the beginning of Luke 7, 36, you see that there's three characters in this story. There's this Pharisee, this religious leader who invites Jesus to his table. There's Jesus himself and then there's this woman, this obscure woman, a woman of the city, a sinner, she's called. And the first thing we notice about these characters is that, and the author does this, is he places them at odds with one another in their relationship to Jesus. What they think of him is really exposed in how they feel around him. The Pharisee, the religious leader, has thoughts about Jesus that he's not sharing. In fact, in that, at the end of that first paragraph, that first section, you see that he has these thoughts about him, what he thinks about him or what he believes about him. And this woman has these feelings, these emotions towards Jesus. And I love what the author does because the author doesn't reveal too much of what Jesus is doing at this table. He spends most of his time talking about the people around him. And I think it's purposeful because what you notice about Jesus is that Every time people get around him, they begin to be changed. Something happens at tables when Jesus is sitting at them. I read this quote from a, from a pastor that, uh, about when I was preparing for the sermon about meals in Jesus' context, and I think it helps to understand why people were to change every time Jesus sat at their table. He says, meals reflect the social values of culture, revealing the importance of social class, prominence, and rank. For this reason, they provide the, per provide the perfect occasion to illustrate the countercultural message of the kingdom of God. Eating in Jesus' context at, at those tables meant something about the person you were eating with. Who you ate with was a big indicator of your, your 
where you stood in culture or your thoughts and ideas. It's the reason why Jesus was given strange looks because who he ate with brought him into question. But Jesus wasn't afraid to be associated with, with specific people. In fact, when he ate with those who he was not, unexpected, not expected to eat with, it exposed not only the, who the, uh, a lot about those people, but exposed also those who were critical and judged. Jesus does this purposely because he exposes what's actually in our hearts. What we think about one another comes out when we meet Jesus at these tables because of who he's eating with. And I love that phrase, if this man were, this man were a prophet, that the Pharisee uh, makes. Because his thoughts about God, you know, let us know where he stands with Jesus. One thing we constantly remind everyone here in, in our community is that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, there's always room at the table. No matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you have doubts about Jesus like the Pharisee, or you have feelings about Jesus, maybe strong feelings, positive or negative. There's always room here at our table to work this out. And we learned that primarily from Jesus, who's not afraid of what people feel or think about him. He eats with all. Which leads us to the second step of that process of we're exposed, our feelings about, are exposed about one another, about what we feel about uh, one another, how we feel towards one another. And in the midst of this, Christ reveals himself how he feels and what he thinks about those present. Verse, uh, verses 39 through 48, Jesus gives this uh, parable to the Pharisee. He tells him about these two debtors, these two individuals who, who owe money, both vary in different uh, amounts, hugely different amounts. Both can't pay, both have their debts removed. And Jesus asks a pointed question to the Pharisees, who, who would love him more? And it's an interesting question that who would love him more? As a, as a Christian growing up, I always felt like that was the, the goal as a Christian, to be some, the one who loves Jesus the most in the room. But that's not what Jesus is getting at. The reason why Jesus asked that question is because he wants the Pharisee to see something that he, it's been difficult for him to see. The religious community in Jesus' time had specific ideas of what the, the, the good news, of what their law was supposed to do. They believed there was this, this uh, process, this uh, step process you're supposed to go through these, these stringent principles. And many of us, maybe we've, we've experienced that ourselves growing up here, you know, in the West. Have experienced that ourselves if you've grown in, up in a Christian or religious home. These intense standards that we can't seem to meet. But what we've learned as, as a community here in Hope is that the gospel is more a story. A story that when we read it, reminds us, points things out in us, awakens things about us. Because it exposes us not to a, a specific pattern of life, but a person who lives in a such a way that we can't help but be kind of uncomfortable at times around him. And that person is Jesus. And so when Jesus tells him that question, he then gives him the, the kind of answer to his parable. There are two people in this room. There are two individuals in this room. One of them, he says, hasn't really responded at all. One of them has, you know, invited me, but not responded to me. The other was uninvited. I love that, that the woman was uninvited. I don't know how many of you would feel comfortable with somebody showing up just to your party, you know, and just being at your table. But this one was uninvited. And she was responding to Jesus. 
And I love that how he ends that statement because one thing that Jesus constantly does is he constantly, I mean, I feel he, en- he enjoys doing this. He makes these statements at the end of his, uh, his, his um, kind of, at the end of these uh, encounters he has, and he always ends with a similar one, that your sins are forgiven. He always ends with that. And I love because there's no, pen, there's no real sense of penance that's been done. There's nothing that he's told them to do, no abs, nothing that they've done to absolve themselves. He literally just looks at others and tells them that their sins are forgiven, that they are welcome, that they are accepted. He reveals something about himself that there is no step, there is no ladder, there is no means by which you have to approach him. He receives your love, he receives who you are, and he offers forgiveness. He reveals that about himself. And the last step of that process is understanding that the story all of a sudden makes sense. And what I mean by that is that Jesus doesn't eat with people just because, again, he's, he's a glutton, because he loves to eat and he's looking for a free meal. Jesus eats with others because he wants them to know something about the grand story, the story that here at Hope Brooklyn we're constantly reading, constantly reminding ourselves, constantly telling us, and is that our God has come to us and he's welcomed us, he's received us. Irregardless of where we are in our story, our God is coming to us and speaking to us. Russell, in the, as we, when we were starting off as a church, we would meet once a month, and there was one sermon he preached that I, um, I really enjoyed, and he was talking about this, that Jesus would sit with people, and he would sit down and, and eat with them, and, and he mentions that Jesus, it's so interesting that Jesus often is invited to tables that aren't his, and when he's sitting there, the table all of a sudden changes and it becomes his. What Jesus is longing to do is he's longing to enter into our story and to help shape our story. He's longing to enter in and help make sense of where we are. And that doesn't happen unless one, we're exposed. One, he reveals himself. And two, if we come as we are. The end of this passage is great because it ends with this question that the people at the table are asking. There's a third group that's there. It's not just the Pharisee and and this woman. It's this group of completely confused individuals who have no idea what to think about Jesus. The woman woman who comes has a, a feeling about him. The Pharisee has these thoughts about him. This group doesn't even know where to begin. They say, who is this guy? Who is this man? And that's a, con- that's a question that Luke's gospel does, that Luke actually puts into his gospel a lot. There's a constant theme of everyone's asking, who is this man? And I love that Luke, kind of in his layout of his gospel, lays out that the only way you're going to find out who this man is, is if you meet him at the table. And so it makes perfect sense that Jesus, at the end of his life, before he makes the ultimate sacrifice for us, would welcome and establish one practice among his people, one practice amongst, amongst those whom he has come to save, and it's that they would eat together. And he says, do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. If you know anything about the early church, they ate often. And one practice that they used to have is every time they got together to eat, they would leave a seat vacant, an empty seat, as a representation that Christ was present at that table that every time they ate, he was there. He was there making sense of the story. 
He was there exposing their hearts and he was there revealing himself. Here at Hope Brooklyn, we've begun a practice like that and we call them tables. We've developed them around various ideas around one, just meeting in people's homes. We were developing them around meeting after work. We live in a, a really busy city. Sometimes once you get home, you don't want to leave. I don't know how many of you guys feel like that. I feel like that. Um, we've also developed them around affinities, uh, passions that we have. Maybe, you know, we have a, me and my wife are part of a, a mom and dad's group that's centered around meeting together as, as parents. A lot of new parents here. You know, we have other affinities, groups that meet around social justice. You know, we recognize that every time we meet, we want it to be his table. We want him to be present. Why? Because there's things in our hearts that maybe we don't know yet, that when we're present at the table with others, we'll get exposed. Maybe there's things about him that we don't know yet, and we want him to reveal to us. Or maybe we just don't know where to begin at all. We don't know the story, but we, we're, we're, in, we're curious, so maybe we just want to see what happens. All these three persons in this story are welcomed at Jesus' table. And Jesus speaks to each and every one of them. And so this morning, as we've been doing for the last three weeks, we've been uh, practicing a time of uh, kind of, an, and we've been giving an action uh, step after our sermons. And what we've been doing is we've been making time for prayer. And what I want to do this morning is I, I want to invite the, the worship team up. And I want us to separate just a few moments few minutes to pray about this idea of meeting face to face. In a city like New York where there's, I mean, I was just reading a statistic that, you know, Brooklyn is the most populated borough in the five boroughs. And that I find it interesting, and anyone who knows me knows that, you know, I, I'm social, I, I love, you know, meeting people, I love talking, but I found out about myself especially encountering a lot of the community here, the New Brooklynites, is that I'm not as social as I thought I was. I had this encounter um, about last, last year, around this time last year. I was on the train, and, and I work for the, the Metro North Railroad. And so I have, uh, I have my pass, my Metro North Railroad pass, I'm riding the train. And this guy, you know, just, I was just standing there, and somebody, I heard someone say, Zepeda. And I turn around thinking it's someone I work with, maybe someone recognized me or whatever. And it's this random guy who read my pass and just called my name out. And so I turn around, I'm like, hey, and I'm looking at him like, do I know you, you know? And he's just, and he asks me the most random question. He goes, is Manhattan really an, an island? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, bro, I'm from Brooklyn, I don't really know, you know? Uh, <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. I told him, I don't know. And we began to have this conversation. And so I, I was, I asked him, I said, so are you you're new to New York? He goes, yeah, first day, first day here. <laughs> and so I'm like, so do you, I told him, do you know anyone here? And he's like, nope, just this guy I met at the airport. And, and I'm like, and you're just talking to people? And he's just like, yeah, man, why not? He's like, why not? He's like, why not just meet people and get to know people? And, and, I, and I, you know, we talked for a little bit, and I got off the train and left, and I couldn't, I left with this strong impression, like, I would never do that. <laughs> I was taught as a young person growing up in New York, you don't make eye contact with people. You have the most cold grill face on, so no one makes eye contact with you, and you keep <laughs> moving. You keep moving. There is no, you know, someone sits next to you that's uncomfortable, you keep moving. You know, you don't stay, I couldn't fathom that this man was so open to meeting people, and 
it made me, not only did it make me somewhat uncomfortable, but it, but it exposed something in my heart that I would never, that unless the parameters were set for me to be comfortable and meet people, I wouldn't go out of my way to meet someone. And I found that so strange. And I began to talk to Russell, and I think I told Nathan this story too, that, and I was just like, I, there's one thing I see about the community that's coming into New York, that's coming into Brooklyn, is that they want to meet people. They're open. And me as a native New Yorker, as much as I thought I was social, I'm very closed off. Maybe it's because there's things about me that meeting someone strange, someone new would expose. Maybe there's something that God's trying to show me about himself. And there's times where I just don't really know what's, <laughs> what's going on. But I share that because I believe that no matter where we are in this story, Christ is drawing us to his table. And the primary way he does that is through meeting people, through sitting with one another, opening our homes, opening our lives, opening our time. And so I want to just ask the worship team to begin to just to play some music. And I'm going to ask you to pray. If, if you're comfortable, you know, uh, pray with the person who's next to you. You know, um, if you're not, that's completely fine. But I'm going to ask you to pray this morning about this idea that Christ is drawing us to him through other people. That by meeting face to face with others, he's speaking to us. So we're just gonna take a few moments and invite you to pray with me about, about that right there. That's where we are in this story right now as a community. That we wanna be a community that meets face to face because our savior is reaching out to us through others. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.